Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping quit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much. Please, everyone, sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's better, H-E-L-P.com slash Derek Duvall Show. So before we jump into this episode, I want to say a big thank you to my last guest, Michaela Cruz. What a fantastic guest and her courageous story of escaping from the World Trade Center touched not only my life, but the lives of countless others. I got a lot of messages about that episode. If you have not heard our very in-depth interview, I strongly advise you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 215 and we have a great episode lined up for you today. We have on the show Bridget Case. Now, Bridget is a former University of Oregon and San Diego Chargers cheerleader, a sports analyst, a podcaster, and an internet content creator. She'll be discussing the ins and outs of professional cheerleading, including mental health and other issues. She'll also be discussing her rise in the ranks on in on-air sports commentating, and how she made the leap to Twitch armed with the incredible power of self-belief. Bridget is a firecracker of a guest and a lot of fun to chat with to the point that I was so incredibly impressed with her knowledge on a wider range of topics and mental health issues. So let's get Bridget out here. Duval Nation, please welcome the show. Calling in today from her studio in Orange County, California, Bridget Case. Bridget, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duval Show. How is the weather out by you today? You know, it's very, very rainy, and I am happy about that here in California. We need it. It's my favorite weather. So uh, it's a good day for me over here. How about you? I'm doing well. So with the pandemic now winding down, how was it for you to navigate the COVID-19 world? Oh, gosh. I know there were so many positive and negatives, right? Like, I think a lot of people experienced that. For me, of course, the negatives were the, the social aspects and then the change of pace in, in life and what my my work routine looked like. 
But it ultimately led me to pivoting to where I am now because, you know, months before COVID hit, I was still working in television and now I'm in the digital space. And so all all of those little things that obviously happened during COVID we all experienced ended up being a small blessing in disguise for me besides all of the uh, the negative, you know, getting the getting the virus part that sucked. But yeah, I think everything happens for a reason. And there were small little things that led me to where I am now. Fair enough. Fair enough. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born and what was it like to grow up there? Yeah. So I was born in Southern California, born and raised, was, you know, trained as a competitive dancer for 16 or so years. And then, yeah, had a, had a pretty normal childhood. If, if normal is like, you know, what, what you call kind of raising a very, very creative, outgoing um, young, young child who knew what she wanted to do at a very young age. Um, I was always pretty ambitious and, um, that's a blessing and a curse. Nice. What were your earliest career aspirations? I always knew that I wanted to be a journalist in some capacity. I I didn't know if that meant broadcast, like the television space, or if that meant print, as as in, you know, the, at the time, a normal newspaper. But yeah, I always wanted to be a storyteller. I loved sports, was a huge football and baseball fan growing up. It was just a huge part of like my, our our family routine as well. But I I just always knew that I wanted to tell stories. I started at a very young age. I wrote, I think, oh gosh, I think I was maybe in third grade or so. I put together a school newspaper. And of course I wrote everything out. I did all of the drawings and I try to remember, I think like the teachers would let me go to the copy room and and make copies, but I would pass them out. I would interview my classmates. The first sport, quote unquote, I ever covered was the game of tag because I thought it was gross to chase around boys. So I was not going to play at recess. <laughs> so I ended up actually just interviewing my classmates. And that's kind of how I got into sports journalism initially. And then, you know, here we are. Fair enough. Favorite memories from the University of Oregon? Yeah, um, I got very, very lucky to to cheer at Oregon during a fun time to be a duck. Chip Kelly was the head coach for a couple of years there while I was still cheering. I cheered in the, it was the, the 2010 season. Our football team went undefeated and cheered in the uh, 2011 national championship and the Rose Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl. So those are some pretty epic memories. And it, it's funny now to look back when I entered college it was the Pac-10. When I left college, it was the Pac-12. And, you know, in less than a year, neither of those will exist. But I just had some absolutely incredible uh, once-in-a-lifetime memories because of just my experience um, as a cheerleader. But also, I learned a lot as a journalism student. I developed so many skills um, from going to school out of state. I think it is so important. If you can and and if you can find a scholarship or afford it somehow, I, I truly believe that leaving home during that young adult period of your life is so important. And it was honestly the best thing for me because I really grew into who I am now. Hmm. What is it like to be a college cheerleader? What, is, what exactly does it mean to be a college cheerleader in a big university like that? Yeah, it is pretty crazy. I I, I think it varies her university and Oregon has become such a big national brand now that whenever people find out that, that I cheered there, there's so many questions. People get so excited. I mean, it is pretty cool. Like our old uniforms are in the college football uh, hall of fame now. And it was unbelievable. It was such a surreal experience. And I think college in general for most students is it, it's, I mean, it's such a like incubated time in your life, right? Where 
you can you're technically an adult, but you're still kind of playing like you're a kid. You have that independence, but you don't have all of the real life responsibilities yet. So it was that perfect marriage of, okay, sure, I'm I, you know, have to go to practice every day, have to go to weights every day. Uh, you know, I have to stay on top of my grades. Otherwise, you know, I, I can't cheer or, but just like what it meant to have that camaraderie with our, our students just in general, Um, the, like the students, the band, the mascot, obviously the teams from the various sports, it all comes together for this surreal experience at only, I think a few schools. I mean, there are, especially when you think about football stadiums, there are only a few stadiums in the country that are that loud and that electric where you are screaming and having to learn how to read lips because you can't understand what somebody's saying. And being in a a small college town where everyone knows each other, everybody is there for the ducks. It's amazing. Like you can just, you, you walk, you can walk somewhere by yourself and you know, you're going to run into somebody. And it's a very unique time in life. Like you can't replicate that. And I think that's what makes it so special. Fair enough. So what does a tryout for the San Diego Chargers cheerleaders look like? Oh yeah. Well, I, I had to graduate uh, a quarter early to be able to make tryouts because they, for all NFL cheer squads, they happen in the spring. So that was a little bit of a bummer. Like I didn't get to graduate with, with my friends, Um, but it it takes a lot of training. Every team is different. Ours was, I believe like a two week process where there are multiple rounds of cuts. There are um, of course, like where you're performing routines um, and showing your skills. And then there are, there's an interview process. There's a group interview, a panel interview with um, many, uh, uh, prominent members in in the media who who run the panel and you're in business cat like you're in um you're in business suits you're you're you, you'd have to take it really seriously and then there's a one-on-one um interview component and then a final round and again after each round there are cuts so it's i mean it's hard to sleep during that time right because you're just really thinking through uh everything that's ab- about to happen and um it, it's a grind but Honestly, I feel like it was always a blur and suddenly the end was there and I was like, okay, thank God, uh, because, you know, of course, your talent and, and skill matters so much, but there are so many other things that go into being an NFL cheerleader and a professional dancer in general, where you are not only you where you not only need to be so talented, you have to be an ambassador to that uh that organization. And of course I got really great training in that from Oregon, learning to be an ambassador for the university of Oregon, but there are so many charity um, events and things you have to do to represent the team. Well, Um, and all of that goes into who they find out, like when they find out things about you and see if you're a good fit uh, for the team. So it's definitely grueling. And I know people always bring up like, Oh, is it like, is it like the DCC, you know, reality show? And, like it's pretty similar, My, minus some of the very added, dr- like clearly added drama. Right, um, right. It's it's pretty intense. Fair enough. What were your emotions when you found out you made the team? Oh, I, I mean, I was probably a little bit dramatic, but I think it was so exciting for for me, um, because it was a lifelong dream of mine to go pro, and I had trained for so so many years, and I made a lot of sacrifices to get there, especially social sacrifices, which I think most athletes obviously experience or anybody who has specialized in something for decades and decades. Um, I, I mean, I, I definitely like, I definitely cried a little bit. I, I was just so, I think I was in shock for a while, but I felt this, this, like, I just felt this 
sense of, oh my gosh, like my life is about to change forever. And that's a little dramatic, but uh, it just was a huge turning point for me. And I was just really proud and excited. And um, yeah, probably every stereotypical feeling that you would expect. <laughs> what does the, you know, the exercise, the diet regimen look like to stay in NFL cheerleader shape? Yeah, I think the hardest part is that uh, you have to understand this is a physical job. I think nowadays, so many people are, are putting out there the physical demands of various industries that women are in. And unfortunately for professional dancers and cheerleaders, the physical part of it is you know what you're signing up for. And it does suck because there are, I had multiple teammates who struggled with eating disorders, struggled with, with body image issues. And I myself uh, struggled with a binge eating disorder. So it was kind of the opposite, you know, of what most people would expect, but there's so much pressure to keep a certain weight, to look a certain way in your uniform while being able to be strong and physically tone. It's yeah, it, it is very interesting. Like when I think back on it, but you understand why you're getting weighed at practice once a week. Um, but I do remember multiple times, like teammates of mine would not drink water. It was because we always got weighed, I believe on Wednesday nights and uh, a couple of teammates of mine, and especially uh, specifically a roommate of mine would just not drink water all day because they, they didn't want the water weight to show up on the scale that evening. And it was just like the stupidest things that people would do just to make weight um, were, were very stressful. And I, I wish that like, I had known what I know now to be more confident and to stand up for myself and to know that that number on the scale and it does not determine my worth. How I look in the uniform is obviously important, but it's how like I feel and it's keeping a, a general sense of physical fitness and health um, instead of thinking, okay, I need to be the smallest thing possible because I remember being at mini camp my rookie season and I loved my coach. I, I I had a rough relationship with my my coach at Oregon, but my coach with the Chargers, she was phenomenal. We had a very strong relationship with her, and I will never forget rookie camp. My mini my I mean mini camp my rookie year. I will never forget. Uh, she showed me my picture from tryouts, and she said, "Okay, like so, our main goal here physically for you, you look great, but I'd like you to lean out your legs." Like she's showing me a picture of me that looks really great looks like a healthy girl, not skinny, but muscular tone. And she's talking all about how our main goal for the summer is to lean out my legs. And at the time, it was so sad because I was so used to that. Like I was just used to that in general in this industry and in my sport that I didn't bat an eye, which is definitely a problem um, because I looked great. I, I didn't have fat legs. I just had womanly, strong, athletic legs. And um, so I think that image and that pressure is kind of where a lot of cheerleaders suffer. I, I remember also our nutritionist, he was a former chargers player and um, I'm pretty sure like he had a daughter at this point, but uh, I've struggled with an autoimmune disease. I've, I've thyroid disease. Um, I had always gone up and down with my weight and always worked really, really hard to be extremely fit. Um, and I will never forget one week because we would have these long Saturday practices during the summer. They were like nine hour days. Um, we would be at the facility and I'll never forget going in for weight. And I was one pound higher than I was the week prior. 
And he got on my case about it, like wondering what's going on, everything, which mind you, again, one pound could be the water you drank that day or you're on your your period, you know, and I don't care if that's a TMI, but there are so many things that like could that that could be right. Um, and one pound is just nothing. And he really got on my case about it. And I was like, hey, like I have I have Hashimoto's like I my weight does go up and down. I do my best. I work out multiple times a day to stay physically fit, um, to be the best that I can be as a professional. But this is this is it. Like, this is who I am. Um, and I, I don't think I ever had any teammates while I was on the team who got benched. But years prior, if you didn't fit into your uniform, you got benched. So there was tremendous, tremendous pressure to uh, maintain your, your your physical shape. And of course, there are things I look back at now and realize how toxic those experiences were. And just that they were just not OK for any young young women. Um, but I also believe that those are the things that have shaped me and gotten me to where I am today um, to be so comfortable with my body and really love who who I am now. That's powerful. That, that's a that's a powerful story, which leads me to the next question. You know, why did you stop cheerleading? Well, that was a little part of it, small part of it. But um, but, you know, I like I said earlier, I always knew that I wanted to be a journalist. I didn't know if that meant print or TV, but as I was starting to intern at different stations and, and get my foot in the door in the industry, I mean, even though technically pay wise NFL cheerleading is a part-time job, it, it we, we, we always used to call it, gosh, what did we say? Oh, we always used to call it. The joke was it's a part-time job, but a full-time commitment. I mean, you, that has to be your number one priority. You need another job to survive. Somehow you need something that's very flexible because uh, the team has to come first. But I, I saw that as I was trying to get my foot in the door in television, in news, that I was spread so thin, I couldn't do either job well. When I was still living in San Diego, I was driving out two and a half hours to go work at NBC in Palm Springs. Um, I was making that commute because that was uh, the first place that I could get a job and I became a production assistant. Um, I had applied to like 50 different stations and publications and of course, so many people were not taking interns at the time who were not in school. And of course, I'd graduated at this point. So I ended up faking going back to grad school to like get my my get that internship that ended up turning into a, a PA gig. Um, but I forgot how much I loved school and ended up just going back to school anyway. But once I was in grad school and trying to make that transition into the journalism space, I knew that I just did not have the capacity to cheer anymore time-wise, but also I think heart-wise, like my heart wasn't in anymore. I was so burnt out. I'd been dancing since I was two years old, competing since I was like five or six. And I lost out on a lot of high school experiences and normal things that kids go through. You know, I didn't drink in high school. I didn't really go to parties. I didn't do all that. And not that I, I, I honestly don't regret that. Like, I think again, it got me to where I am now, but I wanted to experience something different in life. All I had known my entire life was who I was in my sport. And I wanted to just try something new. And I was just burnt out at that point. And that's what it came down to. And and I saw that I had this other passion for storytelling. I'd always been a really strong writer and I wanted to work in sports media. And I knew that I had to give something up to pursue that. Fair enough. Talk about your time at NBC Palm Springs. Yeah, Um. 
that was like my first, that's how I ended up getting my first on-air gig. I started as an intern, then became a production assistant. And I worked pretty much every job uh, in the newsroom. It was pretty wild. You learned so much um, when you're kind of taking cues from everybody at every different position. You know, I was running audio, I was running cameras, I was writing scripts, I was going out and shooting video. I was doing so many different things that again, to this day, I'm so glad that I learned. I, I mean, I could basically run an entire TV station on my own from all of the, the skills that, you know, I, I developed over these years. But yeah, it ended up being an accident that uh, the high school football reporter got a new job and our main anchor went to bat for me with the news director. And he was like, hey, she's been practicing. Give her a shot. You know, obviously she has no on-air experience, but I was every day after work, you know, because I would, oh gosh, the schedule was insane. Like I think I initially, when I first started there, um, I was working the morning shows. So I would get there about three or 4 a.m. And I would finish at practice in San Diego. This is when I was still cheering. I'd finish at practice like 10, 30, 11. I would drive overnight. I sometimes would just fall asleep on the couch at the station for like a couple hours and then wake up and run the cameras for the morning show. And it was a really, really crazy schedule, but again, so worth it. And once I transitioned into the, the evening uh, routine, yeah, they, they needed somebody to uh, cover high school football. And I had been doing my reps, you know, always getting on the anchor desk, practicing live shots whenever I'd go out with other reporters. And I just had wonderful mentors there. I think that's really what ended up launching my career. Everyone there took me under their wing. Like the, the great thing about that market is a lot of people go to work there after they've worked at many different stations, many different markets. And they stay there to have kids or because they're going to retire soon. It's people that have been in, in the industry for, for decades. And so they had the time and energy and excitement to take me under their wing and show me the ropes. So I look back at some of my old tapes from those early practice runs that are just so awful. Like, I cannot believe, I cannot believe our news director ever gave me a shot, you know, like, it's just horrendous. And I think when I look back on that too, I realize, holy crap, this is, I, I have come so far, you know, I have improved so much and you have to make those early mistakes. You have to do those dumb things early on because yes, I was hungry, but I didn't realize what it would take to truly make it in this industry um, early on when I was spread so thin. And I was still coming from that, like a young adult time in life where I'm coming off of those college years where your relationships with friends are so important. And this was the first time where I really realized, holy crap, I have to put everything into my career right now if I want to succeed. But ultimately that's what, you know, pushed me further. And those baseline experiences are what kept me excited about the industry. Fair enough. Uh, what brought you to KEPR CBS? Well, I wanted to work in a new market. I obviously went to college in the Pacific Northwest, and I knew working up in Washington would be a great sports market, high school-wise, college-wise, and professional-wise. So it was a great transition for me, not too far from uh, from my family. It was kind of that perfect balance, but I knew that they needed a sports anchor, and I was going to grow a lot um, more there in that space because there was just more freedom for me to try and and like fail and and take the reins a little bit. It was yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. But of course, by the time my contract was up, 
I really felt ready to spread my wings and, and go somewhere new. And that was, um, that was ultimately the plan. You know, I had an agent at the time who was getting me up for different gigs and in really, really big markets. And I had a job lined up on the East coast and, you know, I can't say exactly which station it, it was, but, but ultimately money wise, the contract fell through and it was one of those things that was just so bizarre at the time. But now I look back on it and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was a God thing. That was something that happened because it was meant to happen at the time. It made no sense. Like it was just so bizarre, but I was meant to go like move in with my parents for a couple months. Um, and then of course like COVID hit and then I ended up, you know, launching my, my digital, um, platform. So yeah, so KPR was great. I loved working with the, the, under the CBS brand. Um, at the same time I was writing for SB nation, which that was hard. That's the hard part about working for all these different markets. You do have to, unless you have a really good agent who really works your contract, um, you are pretty locked in to, uh, their demands, right? So most of these networks are owned by all the same companies, obviously across across the country. And for me, you know, I had a non-compete and I technically wasn't allowed to be writing for SB Nation. And I was, cause I was covering a lot of women's college basketball and WA, at WNBA at the time. And it was a wonderful opportunity. And it was one of those first times in my life where I really had to kind of like be like, okay, shoot, I, I gotta do this. Cause this is gonna help my career. I got to just write on a, under different names. You know, I'm, I'm, I got to get creative. I got to bend the rules a little bit. And that was, the, that was the first time I'd ever done that in my life. Cause I was always pretty much a rule follower. And I look back at that now again, and I'm like, thank God. I thank God I did that because I was so afraid and terrified. And that was one of those experiences that led me to, um, I don't know, to, to have the confidence to eventually go out on my own and, take all of the the skills that I harnessed as a sports anchor working in television into the digital space. Because for me, like as much as I loved anchoring shows and uh, live shots out at games and, you know, wrangling down coaches, I always felt that something was missing. I hated that I couldn't interact directly with our audience. I loved interacting with our athletes and, and coaches um, or whoever the story was on, but I always felt like there was this piece missing. Like I was talking at a teleprompter and a camera, but nothing was coming back. The only things I would hear were emails after the show was done. Um, you know, mostly old ladies like typing in to say, Hey, you looked like a hussy tonight because your, your dress was this color and your lipstick was too bright and things like that, that had nothing to do with the content we were putting out. And, um, I always felt like, you know, in journalism school, you're, you're trained, you're, you're trained under the idea that your subject is the story. You aren't focus on the story, not you. Um, it's not about you. And so that was something hard for me to, to break from. I didn't realize that that was what was missing initially in my time in television until I got into the space that I, where I am now, where people are actually interested in your lives. And oh, you can talk about mental health. And God forbid, while I was still cheering in the NFL, if I talked about depression or anxiety or anything, you know, I'd get in so much trouble. Like there were just so many rules when I was cheering both in college and the NFL. And when I was still uh, working in the traditional broadcast television industry, like 
there were so many rules and I felt like I couldn't fully be me. And again, I didn't see it at the time until, you know, years, years later. But again, everything happens for a reason. Hmm. When I did and my team did my research about you, uh, was fascinated about when you left television and this period of time when you made the switch to digital and the kind of the isolation that you went through where it looks like basically that all the people around you seem to have lost faith in your decision-making mm-hmm. and you seem to, the only person who seemed to believe in you was yourself. Yeah. How did you keep faith in yourself when all around you seem to have lost faith? Because I felt like at that point I had nothing to lose. I think the most dangerous people in this world are the people who have nothing to lose because they don't care if they fail. And I'd been so afraid of failure my entire life. I'd had all of these elevated top tier experiences that I thought were leading me to where I was supposed to be in the end of my career. And seeing everybody laugh at me and nobody believe at me, no, nobody believe in me, nobody take my calls anymore because I wasn't affiliated with a, a network anymore. Um, it was kind of like, screw it. I might as well just experience, experiment here. And if I fail, oh, well, who cares? But if I succeed, like, holy crap, I might just be onto something and I can make a difference in the world. And that was something that was missing for me. I wanted to make an impact on this world and not just be a talking head. I didn't want to just be spitting out highlights um, or sports news. I wanted to help change the world for good. And most people, most of my friends were concerned that I wasn't making money because that first year, of course, I wasn't making money. You know, I thank God. I'm thank God I had parents to move back in with temporarily. Um, but yeah, I, I really had nobody in my corner and it it took so much. It took so much faking it till you make it like. that. That's how that's how I like got to where I am now is I just freaking faked it. I remember that first Super Bowl I went to, um, that first Super Bowl week I went to, um, after I'd left TV, it was the year that I was in Miami and I just networked the hell out of myself. I got into everything I needed to do. And I, you just got to act like you belong because you do, because if you can act like that, then you definitely do. You know, maybe it's not because you have the same accolades as somebody, the same qualifications, but you have something special in you that makes you unique to be successful. Um, and I, I wish more people had told me about the power of, of, you know, fake it till you make it. Cause you hear that all the time, but it sounds cheesy and man, it is so real because once you start putting that confidence and energy on the outside, it, it just like, it can't help, but sort of, um, I don't know, like it, it just seeps through the, the inside. And I, just started really acting like I belonged and holy hell I was so freaking nervous like those first those first six months on my own I was terrified and I I think I look back at that now and I'm like thank god I pushed through because I totally could have just stopped and given up but those were the times where I was the most organized because I didn't have all these calls coming in. I was the one having to make all those calls. I was the one having to constantly reach out to people for interviews um, because I, I started it, like when I went out digitally, I started in the podcast space because even, you know, in end of 2019, it, 
wasn't like the social media world was not what it is now. Right. The landscape was, was so different. And, um, I just started using Instagram as this platform for me to be like, Hey, here's what I have to offer the world. You can take it or leave it. Start connecting with people, putting my, my message out there, putting the message of others out there. The weird thing for me was I I originally had launched my Instagram that I have now under my podcast's name. It was called After Orange Slices because originally I had um, started the show to highlight uh, athletes and their journey into life after sports because that was something that was so dear and near to my heart as somebody who felt like I'd kind of lost my identity as a cheerleader and felt like so many people had left me in the dust because I didn't have anything to offer them anymore. I wasn't, you know, cheering in uh, at Oregon. I wasn't cheering in the NFL. I wasn't working in television. I didn't have anything like that seemed of value on the outside to, to other people. And it was a period where I was really open about struggling with my depression and anxiety a little bit more than I had in the past. And um, again, just like using that period of time to learn how much people wanted to get to know me was key. Because like I said, I named my Instagram, my handle or whatever uh, was after Orange Slices and not Bridget Case because I didn't want it to be about me. I didn't want people to be going to, I wanted people to go to my page for the stories. And that was something, that was a really hard adjustment for me. I think almost a year later, I ended up finally changing it to Bridget Case when I saw how much people wanted to get to know who I was um, and not just the person, you know, interviewing all these, all these people. Right. Well, Bridget, you know what, in the way you just gave me a Ted talk. So <laughs> you know what? I mean, I don't know if it's gonna be Ted talks, but I do love speaking. So, I mean, it's one of the goals, man. Right. Okay. Devon Nation, we are going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we'll be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Bridget Case. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know that's right. Cluzo style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Pay attention to a few friends in my show and we will be right back. Hello, Duval Nation. Derek Duval here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek Duvall Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. 
Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. 17.9 cycles ago, us machines defeated the humans. Now, we're living the good life here in Droidston, Manitoba. Morning, Gif! Morning, Dust! But there's still the problem of human infestation. That's what it's time to call Human Be Gone. Human Be Gone. Wherever you get your podcasts. Human Be Gone. Hey, it's Michelle Fabre, and you're listening to The Derek Duval Show. You can hear my brand new single, I'm All That I Need, on all streaming platforms right now. Because I'm all that I need to get by. Yes, I'm all that I want. I'll tell you why. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts. Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Where Cowards Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. Hey, it's Presley Tennant, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find my brand new EP, 600 Miles, on all streaming platforms right now. Everyone, this is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed: A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.
Welcome back to episode 215 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with former University of Oregon and San Diego Chargers cheerleader, a sports analyst, podcaster, and internet content creator, Bridget Case. I do want to talk to you about NFL Daily. Now, you do this on Twitch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why did you start this channel? Yeah, so during COVID, when I was experiencing, when I was experimenting, with all of these different platforms on, on social media, I was trying to see what was hitting, what was um, engaging with the sports community. First um, I found that TikTok was really taking off. So I moved my stories over there and I took my experience as a reporter um, in making news packages, sports packages specifically, and putting those stories out on t- onto TikTok. And, and, you know, an audience started to started to latch, but I had met an executive from Twitch who explained the platform, really, really showed it to me. And I was at the time hosting a podcast with my friend, uh, Robert Turbin, who uh, used to play for the Seahawks. He won a Super Bowl with them. Um, We hosted a show together called Turbo Talk. And we ended up just kind of saying, screw it, let's experiment. Let's try and see what this platform Twitch has to offer. So we started broadcasting our show live onto Twitch. And about it was about a year that I we only broadcast it on his channel and um it was a really amazing experience but I think I was still so terrified to do anything on my own I was still in that that space of being fearful of people being invested in in me and not like the story of the person you know that I was sharing um so it it, it took some convincing um from an executive who was seeking talent to be like look you need to start your own channel um, who cares? Just try, just go out and experiment. And so, um, finally one, I think it was February. I think my first stream on there was, oh gosh, I think Super Bowl 2021. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of went for it and I saw that these people that, um, would normally go and watch my newscasts were suddenly coming to my Twitch streams. And I was able to provide the same sort of entertainment just in a completely different format and a much more casual, relaxed format. I was able to talk back and forth with my audience. So I wasn't just like reading a script and then the person on the other side of the television, you know, receives it and we have no form of communication. I, I saw that, holy crap, like this is the future of not just media, but but sports media. Sports fans want to come together to experience a game. Um, it, like, especially like something like a historic moment, right? Like, like a Super Bowl or some of those games that we look back on and we're like, oh my gosh, remember, you know, this game from 2019 when the Rams and Chiefs um, had a crazy track meet and scored all those points. And like, you know, we haven't seen anything like it. And knowing that I'm experiencing that with my community, that I'm getting to put a, a different kind of content out there because I'm one of the only people doing it. Yeah, there are a lot of people now putting sports content on social media, but there's not a lot of people doing what I'm doing on Twitch. And it's going to take some time to continue to build that and show people the power of live content. But more sports platforms are starting to see it. And it it's hard when you come from the television, the traditional industry, because a lot of my friends who are still reporters and producers and anchors, um, they don't fully get it, but they're like, oh my gosh, like, like they're, it's so weird. Like they're so inspired by me. Like, and they will say this and I'm like, why? Like, I, you know, and I, and I see it's because 
some, not, not all of them, but some of them have felt trapped by the path that you're supposed to take. And that was the path that I definitely would have taken if this one job that I was supposed to head to, if that contract didn't fall through. Like I absolutely would have gone and I would still be working the same reporter anchor route. Um, so yeah, it, it takes risk. It takes willingness to just put yourself out there and and um, share everything to the world. There, there's going to be times where you really, really screw up. I just, I love the the flexible nature of um, live sports content and that my audience is actually getting something from it, um, especially because I would say... Um, not not majority, but a large percentage of my viewers are physically disabled and can't work, um, you know, are at home all day, can't go to a bar to watch a sports game with somebody, don't have somebody to talk about sports with, um, you know, are in electric chairs and and have special um, apparatuses to help them type and, and communicate on the internet. And once I started learning that, like more of that about my community, I was like, oh my gosh, like I am tapping into this niche market of sports fans who have felt alone this like for so many years and now they feel seen and heard and that's so important like it doesn't matter what you look like but when you're on the internet and you're typing behind a keyboard everyone is equal and yes you're gonna run into all of those bullies and um you know cyber crazies but there is this wonderful kind of like equilibrium this this threshold where we're all the same on the internet, everyone has a chance. And that's what I love about just social media in general, where you don't have to be like a super famous movie star now to get your message out there and for somebody to find you and learn from you. You don't have to be so perfect and filtered. Um, you can go on and, and do content without makeup on and it's okay. And your news director is not going to yell at you. Like I think about that. I'm like, gosh, imagine if I went and tried to anchor a show without full hair and makeup and a dress on. You know, and and now majority of the time I'm in comfortable clothing or something that's relatable because that's what people want. Everyone was just tired of the bullshit, like overly produced content and just human beings. Nobody wants to feel like they are so much less than because they see someone on TV and they're like, oh, I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to look like that. Everyone wants to see you fuck up to excuse my French, but everyone wants to see you make mistakes. And like that's where I finally found my, my space. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can make mistakes. I can experiment with different things, whether it's sports content or other content. And it's been pretty magical. Of course, it's not all, you know, rainbows and, and butterflies. There are so many challenges that I face now um, in the digital space and technically working, you know, for, for myself. Um, there are so many challenges, especially when it comes down to income. Like, things are so much more inconsistent. I don't have a normal salary every month, right? Like some months I have more coming in because of sponsorships and different gigs or shows that I'm hosting. And that's what I love too. Like all of the the shows that I host, especially when I get to work with Amazon, it's so unscripted. So even though I've got a mic in my hand and I'm still interviewing players and we're doing things, I get to make, I get to crack more jokes. I don't have to worry about a news director afterwards saying like, hey, this, you know, we're getting it fined because you said X, Y, Z on air. Um, I just get to be myself and make people laugh uh, and entertain. So, um, so yeah, there's 
it's 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 a weird world we we live in. I, I do not want people to ever think that the content creation space, whether you came from journalism or I don't know where wherever, um, it it's not like all beautiful. And I think that is the that is like the that's the villain in Instagram. Um, because even though yes, unfiltered content is so popular now there's still this issue where people go on and feel crappy about themselves. Um, and like for me, you know what I do? And I have no shame in this. My assistant fully does everything on my Instagram. That's not to be like, oh, like, yeah, I just don't. No, because when I go on Instagram, I don't feel great about myself. I might go on to load something maybe, but I don't look at anybody else's stuff. And unless I really need to go find something, I completely let that be. And all of the people in my life that need to contact me know that and know to text me. You know, one of my best friends from growing up just got engaged on Tuesday and it, she texted me. And it was like the first time that a friend in a long time has actually texted me that they got engaged because most of the time nowadays, it's like everyone just posted it on, posted on Instagram and you have to just assume that people see it. And that was a huge example for me of like, you know, I've been pretty clear with my friends like, hey, this is what I need. These are my boundaries. I, and I'm happy the way I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. But like my parents were at a wedding last weekend and, um, with some, uh, family friends and a, a little sister of a friend of mine from high school, like was talking to my mom and she's like, you know, I haven't logged into Instagram in a long time. And she just doesn't make me feel great about myself. And I always see Bridget's content and she, she just looks like she's so successful and so perfect. And my mom just started laughing because that's so not the case. Right. But no matter how much, we try and show people that our lives aren't perfect. We're always going to compare and, and comparison is the thief of joy. We're always going to look at other people's outsides and be like, why am I not getting that? Why am I not getting that opportunity? Why am I not as successful as this person? Why am I not that pr as pretty as this girl? Why am I not making as much money as this guy? Comparison is the thief of joy. Like you will never get anywhere if you continue to do that. Um, sure. A little bit of is of it is good to push you further. Um, but for the majority, you just have to trust in you and you're the only person that's going to be with you till the end. Sure, you might have a partner, um, you might get married, you might live with somebody for the rest of your life, but you are the one constant in your life. You are the one thing that will be with you till the end through any breakup, through any uh, death, through any um, job loss, through anything financial, everything. And I really noticed that over the last few years. And, and when I developed my own platform um, that I, if I believed in myself, that was all that mattered. It didn't matter if anybody else thought I was going to fail because, you know, look where I am now. I'm nowhere near where I want to be, but I'm doing it. How has TikTok changed your life? Oh gosh. TikTok has been wonderful. Of course, I started getting my sports content out there initially um, and it was a great way to get, I think my name out there and connect with a lot of brands and connect with other, um, creators, other athletes, other journalists. But, um, when I ended up one day at the end of 2020, putting on a sloth costume, just cause I thought it would be funny. Like I just <laughs> thought I was just a joke. Like I wanted to get in on all the TikTok dances when everyone was stuck at home and everyone's doing them. And, you know, I used to dance for a living and I was still in that mindset of, crap, I don't want anybody seeing this because it will ruin my brand. And um, so I like ordered a, a sloth costume off of Amazon 
and just did it for fun. And suddenly it started to blow up. People wanted to see me do some of the dances I did in heels. So I put these red boots on and things just went viral. And suddenly I realized, holy crap, like I can use my, I can use my love of dance to change the world, to make people smile, to make people feel less alone in this time where so many people are socially isolated, to make people laugh. Um, I, I really struggled, I think, especially while I was cheering and just working as a female in sports where so many people would attack you for your looks, um, not ever going down to uh, get to know you and take a minute to realize how much you had to offer um, the the world. You know, I, I like I can't tell you the amount of times that guys, especially would just say the most sexist, disgusting things because that's all they've known. And so people would look at me and assume that I got the job because of this position, or I really don't know anything about sports. When I put the sloth costume on, again, it put us all at that equal level where it was like, here I am doing my thing. You can't see me. So I'm just here to entertain. And suddenly that was the first time where there was no negativity in my comments. Everything was positive. Everything. Because I would get attacked constantly on social media, on Instagram, TikTok, wherever, for, you know, the way I looked, the way I sounded, the things I said, um, what, what, like everything, a hair being out of place, like just vile attacks, you know, death threats, the amount of DMs I would get about, you know, because I talk sports that I need to put a revolver in my mouth, like just horrible, horrible things. And when I put the sloth costume on, it was, everything was positive. And I developed this community that I, I just saw like, oh my gosh, like I can make people laugh. We can all just focus on the, the fun of this. And of course, eventually I unveiled who I was. And so it's been fun since then to introduce people uh, to the the person who's behind the, the dancing sloth. Um, it can be hard sometimes because lots of times people are like, no, put the costume back on. And, and it's especially hard during football season. Like I really run out of time to, to do sloth content. So, um, I think though, just being okay with like, you know what, I don't need to worry so much about getting this many videos up because this person is getting all these videos up and going crazy viral and has all these views. I'm so unhappy as a creator when I start, when I, when I like start worrying about views and numbers and analytics. I'm at my happiest when I'm just saying, screw it. I'm going to shoot this video because it's fun. I'm going to just do this because it's crazy because this is how people are going to get to know me. Cause this is just something for me to blow off steam. Cause this is a great way for me to manage my mental health and to spread awareness about depression and anxiety. And I think, you know, it, it, it really just has changed my life because it, made me feel like I mattered, my voice mattered, and I had something to say. And there was an audience out there that needs to hear it. So it's gone so much more beyond dancing. Hmm. Um, and that's pretty powerful to me. If it wasn't for the fact that this show got a quarter million listens, I honest, about a couple of months ago, I never look at the numbers, analytics, anything, because right. it, it, will draw, it takes the fun out of it. Absolutely. Right. It really it does. does. And I, the only reason I know it got a, is someone, I got, a, I got an email from my hosting platform saying, congratulations. You yeah, got, right. you know, and yeah. I was like, whoa, that's awesome. And then I, and I haven't looked back since I'm like, I, I don't care. Yeah. I, I, no, I don't and that's the know. way to do that. And that's why you're successful. You, and yeah. you have to work that way. And 
like I said it earlier, comparison is the thief of joy. And yeah. the minute I start comparing myself to other creators and um, deals that they're get sponsorships that they're getting or um, whatever it may views, whatever it may be, that's when I lose my steam. And that's when I lose my love for, for what I'm doing. And I think the most important thing, if I can just share any message is that you're going to go through the ups and downs. I had a really hard summer. I was going through some health stuff that was really hard for me, you, you know, like to the point where I was in so much pain every, every single day. And I had to take so much time off of work, but my hormone levels um, were so, so out of whack that it really increased my depression. And I, th this summer was just, it was just a really scary time for me because I felt like I wasn't myself and felt like I'd lost my fire for creating that I, that nobody cared what I had to say. Like, and that's so not true. And I always knew that at the base that it wasn't, but like, you're going to have those periods of time. And I wish more people had told me that, like, it doesn't mean you're crazy and you're always going to climb your way out of, out of, out of that hole. If you were at the bottom, if you were at rock bottom, that means the only way you can go is up. Right. And I think it's so important to have those really tough experiences throughout your journey, especially if you've gone out on your own and whatever it may be, you have to have those really tough, scary experiences to appreciate the successes, the wins, the times where things really start to click because you don't want it to be easy. You'll never appreciate what, what you have. I think also like being honest about your struggles and being honest about being a human being and not just showing life is perfect and look at everything that I have. That I, I don't trust those people. Yeah. And yeah, I think like I, like I turn off all my likes on Instagram. I just do. I don't care. Like, that if you know i don't care what people think about that you know i had a i had a brand reach out recently who was upset about a video that didn't do as well as my other videos have done and i just thought it was so ridiculous because i was like dude i work so hard on content and you know i charge you a very fair price and you know you're upset because of the way the instagram algorithm hmm. you know does things like there are, and I think that's so symbolic to just life where there are so many things we face, challenges that, that we face where we have no control over the situation and you just got to ride with it and handle it the best you can. And to me, that's where I start to find like my inner strength is the times that I face these challenges in this new career path. Because again, there's no like with the content creation space, but live live content specifically, there's really no like path. I mean, we're all just kind of pioneering the crap out of this and figuring things out and figuring out how things work. Like I'm explaining to brands how Twitch works, uh, why live content is important, how to launch their channels, like how to work with them and use my, my expertise of hosting um, to, you know, push them out into this, this new world for, you know, everyone like Gen Z who's, who's consuming media. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting time. That's for sure. But you just, I think in general, you just got to not give a crap about what people think. And that's, that's easier said than done for sure. You mentioned it briefly, but I do want to talk to you about your incredible podcast after orange slices. First off, great title. Thanks. Uh, where did the inspiration come from to start this podcast? Yeah, I think it was, 
in that moment where I was in between jobs and I had nothing going on, you know, I wasn't getting calls anymore from my agent, you know, he's really dropping the ball. And I was like, I just need to take the reins here and try and do something in the meantime, like screw it. I have nothing to lose. And I felt really lost with, you know, my kind of loss of identity, um, not being a, a cheerleader anymore. And I wanted to share the stories of other people who had experienced similar things, especially in, in the sports world. So that's why I called it after orange slices. Cause it was kind of like after the game, after the experience, because I knew that it was a common problem for athletes or anybody who had trained in one thing for decades and decades and basically their whole life. And it was like their purpose in life. It's all that people knew you for. I wanted to share those stories of other people experiencing hardships in that transition so that other people felt less alone. I ask all my podcasting guests these next two questions. What do you love about podcasting? Oh, gosh. I think it's such a raw format and it's everything we've craved from traditional media, but with more honesty, with this very truthful human experience that like we all can share. Like when I listen to a podcast, I feel like I'm sitting right next to that person. When I'm on a podcast, I feel like I'm right there with you. I feel like I can be my real self compared to the overly edited traditional media scripted space. Hmm. And then the flip side of that coin, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome in podcasting? Biggest challenge would be just, again, not caring what people think, not caring if you're perfect, not caring if you say something stupid. You know, when I first started out, I would go and edit out all the times I sounded like an idiot. <laughs> when really I realized that's what people want to hear. They want to feel like they matter and they belong and that you're just like them. Hmm. You've been very open, especially in this conversation today. Uh, you've been very open about your mental health struggles. Uh, I guess the question I really want to ask you is, you know, how are you doing? You know, how are you managing your mental health? I think it is one of those things that changes day by day. Um, I've been doing pretty great recently because I'm in therapy and I'm very, I'm always very open about saying that I'm on medication because I think there's this huge stigma um, with antidepressants and it's like any other, it's like any other diagnosis, right? Where like you're missing something, your body's not producing. Well, you need to put, you need to put something in there. Like, that is okay. That does not mean you are weak. That does not mean that something is wrong with you. You're just a little bit different. The more that I go to therapy, the more that I learn about myself and my experiences with depression, anxiety, the more that I learn how to take better care of me. And I have struggled so much with in the past with self-harm and eating disorders and many things that I think a lot of young women, especially in, in my, um, in the cheer, dance, gymnastics world, um, struggle with. But for me, I have never felt prouder of myself because I can be so open about it now. I think earlier on when I was still cheering in college, like there were times where I'd try to share things with teammates. And I, when I thought, when I would speak it, you know, they thought I was crazy. Like I remember a teammate 
going and telling that my coach that I was on drugs because she saw me taking my my pills one day at an away game. And um, which is just, you know, like I'd never touched a drug in my life. So, you know, I think it's just about accepting what you need as a human to survive and take the best care of yourself. And so the days that I wake up and acknowledge that, and whether it's saying a prayer and thanking God for the life that he's given me, um, or meditating or going for a walk or going for a run or getting to Pilates, whatever it is, when I start my day off with something for me and practicing gratitude, that's when I know I'm going to have a great day, but there are going to be those times where we, we face challenges and, um, and you know, your depression might get a little worse, but I also say to people, if you have a brain, you have mental health. I think there's a huge misconception between mental illness and mental health. Mental health in general is the brain. If you have a brain, you have mental health. You might have pretty strong, good mental health. Um, you know, if you don't have any issues, mental illness are is you, you know, you're the diagnosis, the diagnosis diagnoses that you're that you're <laughs> a diagnosis that you're used to um hearing. But uh I knew that like when I would speak out about my experiences and the struggles that I had early on in my life, I always felt like I was crazy. But the older I got, the more I saw that less people felt the same way I did. And I would start to get all of these DMs on Instagram about people thanking me for sharing my stories because they were able to do XYZ, um, go seek therapy, go talk to their parents. Um, I had a, a couple actually that were then became comfortable enough to come out to their parents. I, I think it's just, it's one of those things where it took me a really long time to be comfortable and okay, because there are going to be people that totally think you're insane for talking about these experiences. But the more we talk about it, the less alone you feel. And I love knowing that I can actually help make a difference in this world because I've been given so much and, and, and faced a lot of challenges, but I've been given so much to not like for me not to be able to give at least a, something back would is is crazy like and i know that god put me on this earth for a reason i have a purpose here and you know i'm slowly always like figuring it out day by day but the times where i struggle most and where my depression might be at you know at its worst is when i try and remind myself of my purpose because I might not see it at that time, in that moment, in that episode, but just knowing that it's there, knowing that I matter because of some kind thing that somebody said to me because I shared about my experiences. That's the stuff that keeps me going. And I just wish that more people felt comfortable enough to be open. And you know what? If if someone doesn't like you or they think you're crazy because of you're talking about your experiences, who fucking cares? Like, my family specifically has been directly impacted by suicide. And so I'm very, very passionate about suicide prevention. I work with a lot of mental health charities. That's also the power of, of Twitch. Like I will do usually four or five charity streams a year. And I specifically love working with the charity hope for the day, um, who help, uh, raise awareness for suicide prevention and provide resources, um, to the, uh, less fortunate who need, mental illness, um, help. And it's, it was so great to connect with them specifically at, at TwitchCon because like my name, it was like putting a name to a face. Right. And, and knowing that I can make a difference with a, a cause that 
truly matters to me and and mirrors my platform um is very powerful that's that's incredible that's 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 amazing pierre de coupetan said the most important thing in life is not the triumph but the struggle bridget you get a chance to talk to your younger self what would you say to her i would say keep going it doesn't matter how many people don't believe in you. It doesn't matter how many people don't want to sit with you in fifth grade or, you know, this is a story for another day, but every single girl in the class didn't want to sit with me. And I will never forget that memory because that is what has kept me going because I always knew that I had a space in life to succeed, that it's always going to get better. And I wish somebody had told me that it's going to get better as long as you are kind, as long as you go out and put positive energy into the world, you can do anything, you know, try and you'll succeed. If you try like that is succeeding. And and I was so afraid and fearful. And now the only thing that gets me anywhere is taking a leap of faith and crushing my fear. Hmm. It doesn't matter if I get to the top or not. If I am accomplishing something, then that means I've succeeded. So what's next for Bridget? I don't know. And that's the thing I usually, you know, you know, when I was still working television, I was very, very clear about this is my path. Here's where I'm going next. This is what I'm doing. And now it's all about riding the waves of the industry because I never thought I would be streaming on Twitch. Like I, I, I think just taking the new opportunities that come with the changes in digital media is so important and being open to that and adapting so I think just continuing to grow my platform, spread my message, use my voice for good. Again, yes, talking sports, but mainly just to impact humanity in, in, a, in a great positive way. Um, if I can continue to do that, then I'm definitely like happy about what's what's to come. Fair enough. As we enter the final phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question. Bridget, what do you like to do for fun? How do you like to relax? Oh gosh, that's a great question. I love to paint. I'm an artist, a uh, very like creative, tortured, you know, artist person. I'm so hard <laughs> on myself. And I think that's also why, like, I, you know, I'm very open about my experiences with, with, with mental health. Um, what do you like to, what do you like to paint? Oh my gosh. Well, that's the thing. I don't do normal, like, I don't do your normal canvases. Like I will go and paint my room and I will paint a mural and I will spray paint something funky and I will, I just, it, it's almost that like love that combining my love for painting with just generic arts and crafts. And I just will build things. Gosh. I mean, I, I have painted so many things in my house. Like I painted my patio outside and it was such a fun experience, but like, I think like I'm right now I'm in the middle of painting some, some cool panels um, to put in the studio. Cause I'm working on getting my, my studios under construction right now, but but yeah, like, I mean, I love your, I love to draw and, and sure take it to the basics, but I have fun with spray paint. I have fun with acrylics. I have fun with, you know, painting my walls and, 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 um, adding a little mural action in there. And, um, yeah, I think between that and walking my dogs, I love to get outside for me. Water therapy is very important and I'm fortunate enough now to live close enough to the ocean where I can, can get there pretty quickly. And so, getting outside and being active and hiking and, and going for walks. That's, that's like, that's how I love to spend my time um, when I'm not working. Fair enough. What would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? 
Yeah. I mean, you can look me up on any social media at Bridget Case, or you can go to my Twitch channel, which is where uh, my main show platform is twitch.tv slash Bridget Case, B-R-I-D-G-E-T-C-A-S-E. And then of course, my dancing sloth platform is only sloths, O-N-L-Y-S-L-O-T-H-S, um, mainly up there over on, on TikTok. But I, I think that's about it. Only sloths. That's so funny. Yeah, it's that's... it's been fun. You just gotta not take yourself yourself too seriously, and it's a blast. <laughs> that's great, Bridget. I could end up talking to you all day, but unfortunately, I have to wrap this up. So I end my interviews with my favorite question, and my question is this: If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? Don't be afraid to fail. Just try, and. Don't be afraid of what's to come because you never know the heights you can reach until you try. Bridget, I want to congratulate you on all your success. I am absolutely so glad I got to know you today. So keep up the great work on your show. And thanks for taking the time to come on this show today. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. I had so much fun. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 215. I want to thank Bridget for taking the time to speak with me. Like I mentioned at the start of the show, Bridget left a real lasting impression on me. Not an easy thing to do. I do hope we can get her back on the show again. Bridget, seriously, you are welcome back on the show anytime. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. We drop our episodes on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episodes to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go and hit that subscribe button to keep up today for when new episodes drop. And also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the Amazing Tea Public. The Derek Duvall Show is a great little store on there. We have everything with our logo on it, including magnet stickers and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner that left us merch. Click that, and you'll be taking our store on Tea Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, we are now getting down to the final days of Christmas. Not much longer to go, so I'll make sure you all have your final gifts bought and wrapped. Do not be a tool and leave it to the last minute. Nostar, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvalShow.com for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.